And I had this aha moment that we were approaching this all wrong and that we didn't have an obesity epidemic. What we have is a midlife muscle crisis and that the common thread that pulled together all of my patients was not that they were over fat or fighting obesity. It was that they had unhealthy or very little skeletal muscle. That is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. She found that what we commonly think of as diseases of aging are really diseases of impaired muscle. I'm Liz Earle and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all have a better second half. And I'm on a real mission to find ways for all of us to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. Well, now here is a question you might want to ask yourself and your doctor. Are you struggling with certain health conditions, not because you are carrying too much fat, but because you have too little muscle? Well, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon feels that that is the case for far too many of us as we age, because as we're about to learn, muscle determines almost everything about the trajectory of health and ageing. A well-respected functional medicine practitioner, Gabrielle is the founder of the Institute for Muscle-Centric Medicine. She's board certified in family medicine and has now written a truly fantastic book. It's called Forever Strong, a new science-based strategy for ageing well. I love it. I have it beside my bed. Aging and becoming frail is not a passive process, Dr. Lyon says. You have a choice. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue nile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door go to blue nile.com and use promo code listen to get 50 dollars off your purchase of 500 or more That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, before we dig into the science, Gabrielle, what is your personal relationship with food, with body fat, with muscle, the things that led you to the lifestyle that you've settled into now? Thank you so much for that question. And I think as many individuals can appreciate, that is certainly an ever-evolving conversation. But when I think about the origins of my interest in food and my relationship with food and body, I think I started in the place that many young women start, being very interested in health and wellness to the point where you crave knowledge and you try to do everything perfectly. And we all know (laughs) what happens when an individual tries to do something perfectly. There is so much information and so much misinformation that it certainly can lead to somewhat of a spiral. 
And that's exactly where I found myself. I was so interested in this nutritional science space that I fell victim. And I say the word victim because I fell into a trap that was what I believed to be super healthy. And that was something that really ran my life for a handful of years until I ventured even more into the science and I realized that nutrition doesn't have to be confusing. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, the relationship that we have with food can be emotional, but it can also be physiological. Mm -hmm. Are we eating to replace certain nutrients? Do we have blood sugar that is balanced or unbalanced, driving us to feed, chasing our blood sugar, and then subsequently chasing our hormones and uh, body chemicals that are creating this push that potentially could lead to overeating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you were having maybe a, a less regulated approach to, to food, were you sort of following like fad diets or were you going down extremes? Was that Because it's very tempting, isn't it, particularly for young women just to go off on a, a tangent and get taken completely down the wrong path. I mean, I am somebody, I was a vegan macrobiotic for a year <laughs> or two too. in my early uh-huh, 20s. Exactly yeah, thing. I mean, just shocking. <laughs> And and I look back and I just think, oh my gosh, my life could now not be more different. I mean, I'm not, I'm not carnivore, but I'm I'm very pro, you know, high protein and and good healthy fats. And I'm sure that we'll we'll get into all of that. But I think as a younger person, perhaps without the knowledge and the awareness, we don't realize perhaps what our body actually needs. I love that you say that. I did the exact same thing. I was <laughs> vegan for a period of time, and then yeah. I became macrobiotic. And for those, who oh wow, <laughs> and those who don't know what macrobiotic is, is it's really eating with the seasons. And there was I can't I wish I could remember the name of the book, but it was a purple cookbook, and it was something mm-hmm. about macrobiotic by the seasons. And the book was written so beautifully that I followed it, and I followed it, yeah. and I was drastically over-consuming carbohydrates and under-consuming. Yeah, protein. I couldn't regulate my hunger. I would go through periods of binge eating. And it wasn't particularly emotional. I was training a lot and legitimately starving myself unintentionally of Mm. things like iron and zinc. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I, I couldn't regulate my blood sugar because the diet was so skewed towards carbohydrates. I finally felt awful Two years into this, I I felt awful. And I remember the first time I ate some chicken, I cried. I felt so guilty. It was really interesting (laughs) because um, I had fallen into a way of connecting food with emotion, with doing the right thing for the planet and the animals to the detriment of my own health. Mm. And there is definitely a balance. And I I know that we will talk about that. I guess later during your work as a doctor, you must have had people presenting with such a wide range of symptoms and diseases. But you noticed that they all tended to have something in common. And that was rather than having too much fat, although they may well, of course, had that, they had too little muscle. What led you to actually seeing this and and kind of how then did you arrive at your conclusion that it's all about muscle? It's more about muscle than it is about fat. I had a moment of insight and I, I believe that anyone in healthcare or anyone that deals directly with patients in any capacity, whether it's a health coach, whether it's a physician, nutritionist, they all have that one moment 
where their perspective changes. I was, at the time, I did a fellowship in geriatrics and nutritional sciences. It was geriatrics, nutritional sciences, and I was doing obesity medicine research. During the day, I would see patients, uh, geriatric patients, and for those individuals who don't know what that is, it's typically patients over the age of 65. However, these typically are even older patients than that, and patients with moderate to severe dementia, patients that have fallen and broken a hip, patients that are in a nursing home, all, you know, in the dementia ward, you name it, it's, Mm. uh, you know, or end of life. A pretty Mm -hmm. significant population that Mm -hmm. if one has the honor to treat will never be the same and never be the same for a multitude of reasons. I found this very, very challenging because I was quite frankly, faced with my own mortality. When you see end of life, you begin to deeply reflect on the actions and the behaviors that you take during your midlife. Mm -hmm. Because part of geriatric training is being at the bedside of patients that are at the end of life. Right. Talking to them, hearing what they did well, hearing about regrets. It's, you know, it's certainly quite intense. And then in the evenings and early mornings, I was doing obesity medicine research. And I just fell in love with one of the participants. She was a mom of three in her mid-50s. She always had put everybody first and cycled through 20 to 30 pounds her entire life, Mm -hmm. doing exactly what we had told her to do, which was eat less and exercise more. And of course, did she lose weight? Most certainly. She lost weight over decades. And in the process of losing weight, she destroyed her skeletal muscle. She had high levels of body fat, low levels of muscle. And quite frankly, I felt extremely responsible. I, as a representative of the medical community, had given the same advice. It was eat less, exercise more. This is how we were told to give advice. I mean, I per se had not given her that specific advice, but it was considered the standard of care. And as physicians, it is our job to follow the standard of care. And when I imaged her brain, her brain looked like the beginning of an Alzheimer's brain. Oh my gosh. Mm. I felt responsible. I felt that as a medical community, we were not honing in on nutrition, primarily nutrition to protect skeletal muscle and Mm -hmm. the nutrition. Obviously, I had trained in my undergraduate in nutritional sciences in protein metabolism and skeletal muscle, that that was not being addressed. Mm. And I started to search for solutions. And I had this aha moment, and it was really after seeing her brain imaged, that we were approaching this all wrong and that we didn't have an obesity epidemic. What we have is a midlife muscle crisis. And that the common thread that pulled together all of my patients was not that they were overfat or fighting obesity. It was that they had unhealthy or very little skeletal muscle. That is such a fascinating reframe, isn't it? Totally. I mean, you know, yes, you know, people are carrying a lot of fat, but underlying all of this is the fact that it's 
too little muscle. When you say skeletal muscle, how is that different from other muscle, skeletal muscle? What, what exactly do you mean by that? Skeletal muscle is the kind of muscle that we have direct control over. We have voluntary control over, which in and of itself is quite fascinating because it is an organ system that we have complete voluntary control over. There are three types of muscle. There is skeletal muscle, cardiac muscle, and smooth muscle. Smooth muscle would be something like the artery lining or the uterus, things that we don't necessarily control. Cardiac mm -hmm. muscle is obviously the muscle of heart. And then skeletal muscle is, again, the muscle that we think about when we do a leg press or a squat or a bicep curl. That is fascinating because I've never heard muscle broken down into those three categories. We just think, oh, it's muscle, it's muscle mass. And I think many people listening to this possibly think about aesthetics first when we talk about muscle, you know, putting putting muscle on our bodies uh -huh. or toning up. And that, I, mean, I guess that says a lot about what we value with our bodies as a society. Maybe we think of strength too, but, you know, you talk in your book about muscle actually being the body's largest endocrine organ. Isn't that fascinating? Wow. How does that happen? <laughs> Skeletal muscle is the largest endocrine organ simply by weight. It makes up 40% of body mass, any individual's weight. And what is so fascinating about skeletal muscle is that when you contract skeletal muscle, it releases something called myokines. These are little proteins or hormones that travel throughout the body and interface with nearly every organ system. It also interfaces with the immune system, helps modulate and lower inflammation. Typically, when we think about skeletal muscle, very rarely do we think about skeletal muscle in its action as a treatment for disease prevention. But actually, no, sure. it is because... <laughs> When you contract skeletal muscle, we often think about the reason that we're doing resistance training is because we are, again, training for strength or we're training for power, but we don't often appreciate that when we contract skeletal muscle through resistance training, that this tissue, this organ system will release myokines and there are hundreds of different myokines. But the most famous one post-exercise that is measured would be something called interleukin-6. And the astute listener might say, wait a second, mm. I've heard about cytokine storms and interleukin is, and interleukin-6 is a cytokine. Yes, it is when it is released from cells of the immune system, like macrophages. But when interleukin-6 is released from skeletal muscle in response to a contraction, it actually has uh, metabolic effects. It helps with lipolysis, the breakdown of fat. It helps with the utilization of glucose, which is extremely interesting. It also plays a role in, again, modulating inflammation and helping balance the inflammatory responses from things of, say, for example, autoimmunity. So bottom line, from what I'm hearing here, is that if we get more muscle mass, if we focus on contracting this skeletal muscle, we are going to improve virtually every aspect of our overall health, even our immune system, things that we wouldn't necessarily associate with that. That's right. That's absolutely right. 
And it, again, goes beyond this idea of it's just about looking good, but it is a highly vascularized tissue that has secretory abilities. Mm. And that is fascinating to think about. Why has the medical community then neglected the importance of skeletal muscle in conversations about health and longevity in particular, do you think? That is a wonderful question. I believe that it's there's a few reasons as to why. Number one, skeletal muscle is potentially difficult to measure and look at. It is a highly heterogeneous tissue. There are different types of fibers. It's not homogeneous or nearly the same like fat tissue is. It is complex. It has up till now largely been studied in men, which is very fascinating. Mm. And the framework for medicine is about fixing a problem. Yeah, It's not about fixing a problem before it starts. Mm -hmm. The majority of money, the majority of research is done on how do we address a problem, not at its root cause, but when it's here. What is the yeah. best drug for hypertension? What are the best medications for obesity? What is the best treatment for cardiovascular disease? Is it a statin? Is it a PSK9 inhibitor, et cetera? It's not how do we prevent <laughs> from an early age the development of mm. cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, hypertension, mm. obesity. And if we were to look at it through that lens, we would mm. all be addressing skeletal muscle. Yeah, but they wouldn't be selling any drugs, would they? <laughs> well, here is the interesting part. As, as a physician, and, and this is something that is, uh, I think, underappreciated, is that physicians don't get paid for prescribing medications. But the unfortunate part is that in the educational process, that is the way in which general medicine is taught, diagnosis and treatment. It's not taught Someone is coming to you when they are 15 years old. We see that they are sedentary. We see that their behaviors and habits will lead them to this outcome. That is not how medicine is practiced. I said before that you feel that we have a choice when it comes to becoming frail as we age, and we'll come back to that. But I guess what is inevitable about how our muscles will age, what, you know, what do we need to understand about what's happening to them in order to make choices that will better serve them as we age? I think it's important to recognize recognize the role of aging. Aging is a biological process. The speed at which one does it varies. There is an end that we all get to. Mm. And however morbid that is, it is frankly the truth. The real question is how do we want to live our life? What happens to the most important organ system and the only organ system that one can control? Well, if left unchecked, just like cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, when these diseases show up in our 60s, they actually begin decades earlier. And what individuals are going to come up against is something called sarcopenia. This is typically an aging process that is characterized by a decline in muscle mass and quality. However, it does not have to be a disease of, say, menopausal age, even though that is the time where we often see it increase rapidly. It could be a disease process or aging process that starts anytime when you are inactive. That being said, to provide individuals with an extraordinarily um, a large amount of hope is that 
regardless of where you are starting, regardless of the age, one can always improve. One can always get stronger. Be 75, 85, it doesn't matter. You can always get stronger and you can always put on some level of muscle mass. There are a whole host of things that happen with aging. You know, really one of the things that I I believe to be one of the most important aspects is that skeletal muscle can become more insulin resistant. And that means that insulin is a peptide hormone released from the pancreas that moves glucose into the tissue. Skeletal muscle, when it is not exercising, requires insulin. And this tissue that makes up 40% of our body becomes more resistant to insulin, meaning potentially blood sugar could remain higher. One would have to put out more insulin. And that is a negative. Mm -hmm. And once you see this happen, you begin to see changes in metabolism. This dysregulation of metabolism can accelerate cardiovascular disease, which for women is something that kills them. Yeah, yeah, the majority. That's what's yeah, the biggest killer can, for women, isn't it? Cardiovascular disease. These are things that we have control over. And one must appreciate that during midlife and starting as early as you can by laying down this tissue is critical. Yeah. So are you saying then that treating disorders such as type 2 diabetes, which we know is just reaching epidemic proportions, is something that we should be investigating in terms of developing our muscle mass, which is certainly something that's not talked about here in the UK? Absolutely. Do you see it as a, as, as a health preventative, as a, you know, a, as a prescription that we should be going to see our doctors and rather than being given, I don't know, metformin or something, you know, some diabetic medication, we, we get a prescription for, for resistance training? Definitely a prescription prescription for resistance training. I would even argue that if someone is going to do a medication, why wait till there's an issue? Right. I would much rather, and this is somewhat controversial, I would much rather target the health of skeletal muscle than I would anything else. You know, and there's some early work by DeFranzo and, you know, he talked about that type 2 diabetes, that the initial dysregulation comes from insulin, whether it's insulin receptor mm. dysregulation, but I mean, there was a hallmark paper that talked all about type 2 diabetes and insulin and insulin receptor issues and the primary site being in skeletal muscle first. Wow. So the ep uh, obesity epidemic isn't necessarily an epidemic of being over fat, but of being under muscled. It is. It is. What we are seeing here, and that is one reason why everything has been so difficult to treat. You and I both can agree that when you ask the wrong question, you'll never get the answer you're looking for. Right. That's just the way that mm -hmm. life goes. And what was so fascinating to me is people continue, and to this day, ask the obesity epidemic question rather than taking a step back and saying, okay, we can appreciate that obesity and all of these other metabolic diseases are quite complex. There are numerous inputs as to why these things happen, whether it's certain gene expression or epigenetic changes, et cetera, et cetera. But there's one thing that we know can help with regulation of these diseases as a primary site for prevention, and that is skeletal muscle and skeletal muscle health. There is no such thing as a healthy sedentary individual. You wow. might not show outward signs of obesity, mm -hmm. but just being sedentary is mm. a diseased state period, end of story. So we might not look hugely overweight on the outside, but that lack of muscle is actually having a severe effect 
inside. I mean, in your book, I mean, I read you talk about a rise in cortisol, insulin, blood sugar levels, and these kind of things sort of occurring quietly so that they That's get right. ignored. And, and But you are saying that there is also hope that it, it's not too late. I mean, I know a lot of the audience here are going to be in you know the second half of life thinking, drat, I should have been in the gym, you know? <laughs> yes, you should. And, and, and the age-old question is, yeah. why is it so challenging to have individuals appreciate the necessity of it? And mm. I, I don't know the answer. That's what I'm hoping to inspire people to do with the book Forever mm -hmm. Strong, mm. is truly appreciate that this is an organ system. It's not sufficient to say, I know we should be exercising, but I'm just not doing it. Yeah. That is not a reasonable no. response. I mean, this is far more fundamental. I mean, to try and grasp just how crucial muscle is to longevity and disease prevention in other areas, you know, let's start with something like Alzheimer's. You know, is, is there a connection there? Oftentimes, and by the way, I did my fellowship in geriatrics, which is the study of, again, the older population and mm. part of the responsibility of a fellow is to work with dementia patients and to help run a comprehensive memory and aging clinic. Right. There is an extremely strong relationship between body composition, waist circumference, and brain volume, metabolic health, and Alzheimer's disease appearance and progression. I mean, that is extraordinary that, that we're not hearing that. Um, you know, I, I don't know, how is it in the States? If you go into a care home or, or somewhere that's looking after the elderly, are they surrounded by resistance bands and kettlebells? No. <laughs> no? Okay. No. Uh, and it's a, I mean, there's some basic movements, mm -hmm. but it's not, again, it, it's, the goal is how do we prevent people from mm. even getting there? Yeah. And that's what can happen if we can really work to do meaningful activity. Walking is great. It's not the same as resistance training. Right. We live in an environment that physically domesticates us. We do not appreciate the change that we have gone through over the last multiple hundred years. Yeah. We no longer move. We are no longer oppressed to pick up heavy things, put them down. We are just so mm -hmm. much more immobile than we've mm. ever been. And that immobility and that decrease in activity from what we were designed as animals to do yeah. sets us on a trajectory that creates disability. I mean, presumably we are designed to lift and to be strong. I mean, I guess before the invention of the wheel, you know, and the shopping cart, we, we, if we wanted something, we had to carry it. And, you know, if we wanted to move our babies around and, and toddlers, we would, we would carry them, you know, often several at a time. Is it as simple as having more weight bearing exercise, picking things up? I mean, whether you're actually going to invest in a set of dumbbells or not, but it's actually being conscious that you need need to, to lift and to maybe do the resistance like the push-ups, like the squats, things that are actually giving that resistance that we're pushing against, which is creating that muscle mass. Absolutely. And again, this is another non-negotiable, this idea of incorporating resistance training. And the first thing women will say to me is, I'm afraid of getting bulky. Now I mm -hmm. have two toddlers. One is 40 pounds and the other one is 30 pounds and I'm not bulky. I've been spending <laughs> years picking them up, right? One is two mm -hmm. and a half and one is four and a half. And no mm -hmm. woman is going to be, come bulky. 
but yet we're afraid mm. of lifting a five or 10 pound weight. Right. Three right. sessions a week <laughs> in the gym. It yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Women yeah, will not yeah. become bulky. We must understand that we are training to become better at life. If you hate exercise, hate it. Mm-hmm. Totally okay. Do it anyway. <laughs> Plan for the amount of time that you are going yeah. to try to. I I have been training for over 20 years. I still, every single day, try to talk yeah. myself out of it. Yeah. I'm not going to go today. Yeah. My son, my two and a half year old, had me up at 2 a.m. said, Mommy, mm-hmm. you know, I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. Literally went down and we had chicken at 2 a.m. <laughs> Do you think I wanted to wake up and go train at 6.30? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we are just going to take a pause here. When we come back, I really want to talk to you about nutrition and about how what we're eating is dialing up, hopefully, our muscle mass. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So let's talk nutrition. We touched at the very beginning about the fad diets that we've been on and about how, you know, Vegan macrobioticism, if that's such a word, didn't really work for either you or me. I guess when we think about muscle, we think automatically about protein. So are you somebody who will advocate a high protein, low carb, maybe quasi keto style of eating? I think that we first have to define what we mean by high protein. And Mm -hmm. the current recommendations are set at the minimum to prevent a deficiency. And that would be 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight. And for those who don't want to do math, it's 0.37 grams per pound of body weight. Mm -hmm. If an individual is, for example, 115 pounds 
that would be 45 grams of protein at the minimum to prevent a deficiency. Right. Most people take that number as a maximum. <laughs> yeah. We should also explore where that number came from. That number, 0.8 grams per kg, is from 18-year-old men who oh are eating a high-quality protein diet. And the, the way in which the nitrogen balance studies were determined, it was determined the minimum amount of high-quality protein to continue to keep up with their growth, where they were able to maintain their muscle or their body weight, et cetera, their growth. So it's not hugely relevant for, say, a 50-year-old no. female. <laughs> it's not relevant. How is that relevant? It's not yeah, relevant. It's and not nitrogen relevant. balance is not an outcome. And that number, unfortunately, people have determined that anything above that number is considered a high-protein diet. Yeah. And this is semantics. This is not true. This is a minimal protein diet to prevent deficiencies. And if you put this into context, this number is too little for a menopausal woman yeah. to keep up her skeletal muscle. If we were to double that, mm -hmm. so we go from when you double a minimum, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's a high amount. No. That would be considered a moderate amount. So that would be talking, what, like 90 grams? A day. Right. So that would be considered mm -hmm. a moderate amount of protein, okay. not a high protein diet. Mm. Certainly 90 grams is something that I aim for. I mean, we're hearing a lot, aren't we, at the moment about the 30 gram rule, that you have 30 grams of protein on your plate with every meal. Is that something that you would advocate? It depends. And I cover that in my book. I do have one track. I have three tracks in the book. One is for longevity, one is for weight loss, and one is for hypertrophy. That is the track that I use for weight loss. One does mm. not have to do that. However, okay. it is a very good strategy for an individual who wants to lose weight because it will keep blood sugar stable. And so that, that, that's the main focus, is it? That's the main role of having a high protein plate in front of you is that it's going to stabilize your blood sugar, which is in turn going to help with weight loss. That is only one reason. The sure. 30 grams three times a day really came out of some early research from my mentor, Dr. Don Lehman, and Doug Patton-Jones, a handful of these mm -hmm. protein researchers that looked at muscle protein synthesis, which is basically the – it's a biomarker of the health of skeletal muscle. Is skeletal muscle doing what it should be doing and laying down new tissue? And this is a surrogate marker for skeletal muscle health. And the way to turn this process on is to get a minimum of 30 grams of protein. Do you need to do that three times a day? No. Should an individual do it two times a day at the minimum? Yes. The mm -hmm. first and the last meal are most critical. Really? If someone doesn't want to eat three meals a day, that's okay. The amount of protein understanding, and I recommend one gram per pound ideal body weight. Mm -hmm. Now, I would call that a optimal protein mm. diet and the literature would suggest double the RDA would be more optimal and that there's no harm in going above that 1.6 grams yeah 1.6 grams per kg so 0.7 grams per pound of body weight which again you calculated out would be yeah. around 90 grams that would be considered your minimal range 
for optimization. That's hard. I mean, in, in I know today's, it is. It is. you know, I mean, I, I, I talk on my social media all about starting the day with high protein, you know, having eggs for breakfast, Greek yogurt, you know, good healthy fats, cheese, that kind of thing. But most people, let's face it, are getting up and having a bowl of cereal and a piece of toast, which has like negligible amounts of protein. Probably the worst advice I would ever give somebody. Yeah. If you can nail, if the listener does one thing mm-hmm. and they hit between 30 and 50 grams of protein at that first meal, and that wow. could be a scoop and a half. So we'll make it mm-hmm. easy. It could be okay. a scoop and a half of a, a whey protein shake. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's a glass of, that's a one protein shake. You don't have to put anything in it. You literally yeah. are getting okay. a complete protein with immunoglobulins. It is a wonderful food matrix. You're stimulating skeletal muscle. You are providing your body with amino acids that it needs. The first mm-hmm. meal of the day, easy. That's Two it. Two and a half of protein. That's or, Literally, glass that's of milk or, or whatever you want to mix it with and, and your protein powder in. That is so easy. That's very doable. Yeah. It's doable. Mm-hmm. If someone, again, I, depending on what time I'm eating, I might have a handful of eggs mm-hmm. and no Dietary cholesterol does not affect (laughs) blood level cholesterol. They took this out of the guidelines in 2015. I know we are still being bombarded with it. I post a lot of pictures of me eating eggs on my Instagram, and I bet you every single time I can pick up comments, but what about the cholesterol, Liz? What about the cholesterol? Aren't you worried about the cholesterol? It's like, no. (laughs) Short answer, no. I mean, so tell us as a doctor, as a medic, why we don't need to worry about the cholesterol in eggs or anything. Yeah, the body has a baseline cholesterol. The majority of cholesterol is produced within the body. There is a genetic set point. If you were to change the amount of cholesterol you are eating, you might see changes in a lipid profile for four weeks, but your body will go back to its baseline. Mm. It's it, Cholesterol is largely produced within the body. Are there genetic factors for some people? Yes, absolutely. Yes. But yeah. from a dietary perspective, it's... Yeah, this is not the thing to be focused on. Excess calories and potentially saturated, excess saturated fat can be an issue, mm. but mm-hmm. dietary cholesterol is not something that concerns me. Yeah, obviously, unless you have that medical condition, which I think it may, may, maybe affects like one in two hundred and fifty. So it's 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 pretty rare, and I guess you'd know about it through your doctor. But otherwise, let's let's not worry. Let's bring on the eggs. You mentioned the, the, the key word there, amino and uh, amino acids. And we know that protein is made up of, of different amino acids and the differences we, we know. Most of us, I think, probably know the difference between complete and incomplete protein, which is why, you know, animal fats tend to have, you know, complete protein, uh, meat, for example, eggs, you know, as opposed to like other high protein f- forms like chickpeas, which will you know be missing something like methionine. Are there particular amino acids that are more important than others that we need to prioritize when it comes to looking at high-protein foods? This is a wonderful question and a tricky one because it is difficult to think about foods. Again, there are 20 different amino acids, nine of which are essential. There are three limiting amino acids, meaning that these can uh, be somewhat of the linchpin For example, you had mentioned methionine. There is methionine, lysine, and leucine. These are typically limiting amino acids. They have very they have very specific roles. And depending on the foods that you eat, they may be missing or 
Um, again, for example, methionine, a methionine restricted diet would be a vegan diet. Mm. When you restrict methionine, then you do have an upregulation in a stress response. Mm. And so what would that manifest? That's a good question. Um, it's pretty complicated. There's an integrated stress response that is seen. And sometimes what that means is that it could stimulate whether it's autophagy or mm. it allows the body to almost fight against something. It is a stressed state because mm -hmm. it is missing something. Right. Um, and then when leucine is a limiting amino acid, then that means you won't turn on skeletal muscle. You won't wow. trigger okay. the skeletal muscle response. And where do we find leucine in particular? And this is in animal-based product foods. You know, people get very emotional about sure. this idea of high quality and low quality proteins, which is mm -hmm. interesting because in science, we don't feel that way. It's, it's not a feeling. It is this idea that there are certain amino acids that are required in certain amounts and the high quality proteins have these. Right. The low quality proteins don't. Okay. I mean, it, it's fairly black and white, isn't it? That it is. the high quality <laughs> proteins with those amino acids, that is going to be your meat, your fish, yeah. your yep. cheese. Your and you asked the, the original milk. question you asked, which I mm. think is a really good question, is how do we look at foods and determine how much amino acids? It's mm. difficult. And by the way, if you look at the label, it's typically not on the label. No, of course it's not. It's very hard to find. Mm. They are going to be changing that. And they're really? going to be, there may be something called an EAA3 coming out where they will help score foods based on protein quality. Really? Well, as a general yeah. rule across all food labeling? They're going to do their best. I, I think that they will be doing their best. Amazing. That would be super helpful. I mean, that's going to call out a lot of these plant-based foods though, isn't it, frankly? It will. So I it imagine will. there'll be a little bit of resistance to that with the industry. Uh, there will be quite, I'm sure. Again, um, mm. These things become a challenge. And if you are young, just like we were when we were plant-based, could you do it? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But as you age and as you go through menopause, yeah. menopause, the foods that you eat, they have to be nutrient-dense. Dietary protein is very difficult to store as fat. High-quality dietary mm. protein is typically lower in calorie than tofu or quinoa to get the equivalent amino acids. Mm-hmm. It's a highly nutrient-dense, highly usable source of protein. Why do you care about protein as you age? You want to protect muscle at all costs. You yeah. require dietary protein to protect skeletal muscle. Yeah. And just to recap on that, to remind everybody what we talked about in the first half, this is protecting our immune system, our brain cells, our hormone regulation. So many systems are coming from this organ, the skeletal muscle organ that you describe or relate to being an endocrine organ, which of course is regulating hormones. You mentioned there the word menopause. I talk a lot about menopause on this podcast. I've written books on menopause. I advocate for menopause. I'm a big fan of HRT and the safety of it and all of that. Where does this fit in, this idea of focusing on muscle, about higher protein foods, specifically in relation to perimenopause and, and menopausal women? It's critical. And um, again, I worked on some of these earlier studies. This is the time where it becomes more challenging for body composition 
And I agree with you. I am very much for hormone replacement therapy. It does work extraordinarily well. There's been some real challenges in the medical field that have put a extraordinarily bad spin on hormone yeah. replacement. One of Tell those me about studies it. being, right? The yeah. Women's Health Initiative. Women's Health Initiative. Completely You're... distorted. Yeah. yeah. Completely distorted mm-hmm. the understanding and the utilization of, of hormone replacement. Mm. If we have a higher protein diet, are we better protecting our hormones as we age? That's a wonderful question. We'd have to define which ones. The reality is women will go through physiological changes that are different than men. Men can maintain their testosterone for a lifetime. As right. women, women's estrogen and progesterone decrease. Oftentimes their testosterone can decrease, but this mm-hmm. loss of estrogen and progesterone is something that happens. Mm-hmm. There's no amount of food. I mean, this is an inevitable aging process. Yeah. You can't the, replace it with food. <laughs> no. You're no. going to go through menopause. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, that's... You know, it's a blessing that you've gotten to that age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you don't need to worry about getting pregnant. Hurrah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. However, there are things that, you know, notably when we focus on a whole food diet, it's not just about hormone health. It's about everything. It's about how do we want to go through life. Mm. What about replacing testosterone for women? This has become a bit of a hot topic here in the UK. It is possible to get testosterone prescribed. Unfortunately, if if you want it free on a national health service, you have to uh, say it's for reduced libido because that the patriarchy of the medical world will only give it to you so they can have sex with women. Unfortunately, they won't <laughs> do it for muscle preservation or brain cognitive function, any of that. How does testosterone fit in? to your story here with skeletal muscle for women? I am a strong believer in testosterone replacement therapy. And we use it. I still see patients. I have a remote clinic. I see them all over the world. We use testosterone replacement therapy. It is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting because it is not FDA approved uh, for whatever reason. Women do extraordinary on testosterone. Their libido is better their strength is better. And we're not talking about making them into men or bodybuilders. No, These you're not going to grow These numbers are low, right? These yeah. numbers are low. We are talking yeah. about replacing normal physiological amounts. Yes. I think that's the key, isn't it? Whenever we talk about HRT, hormone replacement, it's not additional. It's simply replacing what is lost. And, you know, I don't know what the mood is in the States at the moment, but there is, I think, this growing realization that actually, you know, estrogen, progesterone, they are natural hormones and women actually weren't meant to live as long as we do now, perhaps without them. Uh, and looking at longevity, we're likely to have more years of our life without our hormones than with them, unless, of course, we mm. replace them. And all the research looking at everything from, you know, Alzheimer's to cardiovascular disease, diabetes, you know, all the rest of it. But very interesting looking at testosterone from a muscle mass point of view, because we know that testosterone is involved in in muscle mass. But from what you're saying, actually, is that you're saying that women need to be prioritizing this because the skeletal muscle is what is leading us to greater longevity and disease prevention. Absolutely. And also, quite frankly, women feeling good about themselves. Sure. Yeah. When you build and maintain skeletal muscle, we operate in a physical realm. 
when you know that you are physically capable, mm. you maintain confidence. Mm -hmm. You do not have to become a reflection of what you were when you were 30. Yeah. Right? You can always be fit. Yeah. You can always be fit. It doesn't have to be a thing of the past. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess, you know, to finish up here on a more psychological level, what strategies do you find are effective in helping people to shift their focus away from fat loss, more towards building muscle and, and building their health? I love the idea that we're not looking at what we need to lose in later exactly. life, i.e. fat, but really focusing on what we have to gain. It is critical. And I would say the first thing is to recognize you have to reframe and think about it differently in your own mind. That be prepared for internal resistance and know that you can do hard things and you've done harder things in the past. And that if you are unwilling to do this for yourself, be willing to do it for your family. Mm -hmm. One thing is for sure. If you do not maintain the health of your skeletal muscle, you will become a tremendous burden on your family. And that is morbid, and I know that that is deep and somewhat harsh, but it is the truth. And if you are listening to this, then there is no better time to start than now. Make it simple. If you are new to the gym, three days a week of body weight exercises, you can then progress to bands. I've put all this in my book, Forever Strong, mm -hmm. to make it easy and non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. And accessible to everybody, understanding that following a optimal protein diet will give you the best shot at protecting body, your body composition, mainly skeletal muscle mass as you age, and that you can look and feel extraordinary. Mm. Well, you certainly do. And you are living proof that it works. I love everything that you're doing. Can you just please give a shout out to where we can connect with you? Obviously, we can buy your book. But presumably, are you on social media? What do you best like connecting on? Is there a website people can sign up to to follow? Do you, do you want to give us the details? I'm so excited to announce that we are launching the first ever Forever Strong community. And what does that mean? That means we will have a community where myself will be in there answering questions, doing Zooms, and right. really building a community. People can go to my website. It's the Forever Strong community. My website is drgabriellelyon.com. I have a great newsletter and a podcast. I'm signed up. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. <laughs> no, Amazing. I, I can't wait to bring you on as a guest to the oh, community. It would be you. wonderful. And uh, I am, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on TikTok and Twitter and well, LinkedIn, mm, you name it, all over the place. There. <laughs> I'm there. Well, you're going to be getting a lot of followers because what you say is just so great. And it's a very powerful, true message. And it's going to help a lot of people, particularly midlife women, which is the majority of my community here. So I'm so grateful for you carving out a bit of time for us today, truly, and genuinely look forward to connecting again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, wasn't that just fascinating? I love that medic. 
and everything that she has to say. As I said before, it's a great book. Well, I'd love to know if any of what Gabrielle said rings true for you. You can find us on Instagram at Lizelle Wellbeing and you can tell us your thoughts there. Leave a comment. I'm on there too at Lizelle Me. And of course, we talk there about functional medicine. If you'd like to listen to more on that, you might want to rewind back into the archives. They're the first couple of episodes of this year with Pete Williams, good old friend of mine and also an absolute expert in functional medicine and what it can do for us to keep us well and living longer, thriving as we age, not just surviving. Well, would you have preferred to listen to this episode ad-free? Do you know? You can. For a small monthly fee, you can subscribe to the Liz Our Wellbeing Show Plus on Apple Podcasts. That means that you get all the episodes ad-free and 24 hours earlier than general release. Lucky you. Right. OK. Until the next time we chat, go very well. Don't forget to load up on that protein and I shall see you back here next time. Goodbye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.